0: Ayer's on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Hello, here we are. It's great always to talk to you, and we are on the road. Uh, actually, we're going to be on a long road to Boston and New York tomorrow, but for today, we are here in Salt Lake City, and we had a
1: wonderful event over the weekend. We sure did, and it's so fun to have You know, all these shows are on YouTube, BYU is good enough to save them up, and we were thinking the other day, one of the blessings to us is that we can go back and listen to them and figure out where in the world we were each week, because as of right now, who knows how long we'll be able to keep this pace, but we're somewhere in the world almost every day talking to wonderful parents about how in the world to raise a child in this very difficult world where we're trying to be parents, But it was a rare week for us, Linda, because this time parents came to us, and we held a gathering of about 100 wonderful moms right in our own home in Park City. And we didn't have to budge an inch. We just got to go right out and walk out of our bedroom and look down into the great room and give a speech on
0: um, It really was so fun. The Power of Moms um, is a website, powerofmoms.com, that was actually organized by our daughter and a wonderful woman named April Perry from California. They're just kindred spirits, and they started this website maybe three or four years ago. Um, they often now get 250,000 hits on one of their articles that's gone viral. They have 25,000 active members, and they've done these retreats all over the United States and Australia. So if you're
1: if you're interested, just go to powerofmoms.com on your computer and check it out. But you know one of the things we've been thinking a lot about this week too is um, I, I, I sometimes get a little too much on my soapbox, Linda tells me, and I, I still have a little political sort of, bent toward me sometimes, and I sometimes get going on how important it is to save the world by saving the economy, by saving families, one family at a time. And some people say things to me like, well, come on, it's not like one family matters. What we do in our families is just our own business, and it just matters to us. I want to read you something that Linda just showed me a minute ago. Or do you want to read it, honey? Absolutely. Why don't you read it? You're a good reader. Well,
0: it says, it's from an article, um, by Joe Hopkins, I believe it was, and he, uh, it's a collection of writings and so on, but this one is a long article about how scary it is that our families are disappearing.
1: that um, I just set that up, Linda, for, you know, the answer to the question, why does it matter to anyone else what I do in my family?
0: I know that's what I was getting. Okay. To. Um, so what they have to say about this is: one might think that family matters are entirely personal, detached from the surrounding society. Does one person's family or marriage really affect anyone else's? The answer is a resounding yes. None of us lives in isolation. A report on the state of marriage in America put this way is put this way. Marriage is not merely a private arrangement. It's also a complex social institution. Marriage fosters small cooperative unions, also known as stable families, that enable children to thrive, shore up communities, and help family members to succeed during good times and to weather bad times.
1: See, that's the point. I mean, people don't realize that these things we call families and we sometimes get mired down in arguing about, a parenting method or about whether it's good or bad for someone to divorce or separate given the emotions involved. And we get all these micromanaging discussions going, and we sometimes lose track of the fact. I mean, and we say all the time, you, you, you hear so many people say, oh, the family is the basic unit of society. But are we really thinking what that means? It's the basic economic unit. And if it's not intact, if it's slipping, as it is in this world, from everything, you know, the causes range from increasing divorce rates to decreasing marriage rates to skyrocketing out of wedlock birth rates to cohabitation increases that are just off the charts. And if all those things combine and the natural, traditional family becomes an obsolete institution as some people are now predicting that it is becoming, especially among the millennial generation, the younger generation, then the question Jeff ask is, who's going to raise the children? Who's going to provide the economic stability? All the things that families do that have economic value to society who is going to perform it? Is it going to be a commune? Is it going to be a welfare system? Is it going to be a prison? Who's going to do those functions when I'm back on my soapbox?
0: Yeah, I know, but we need to be because it's so very scary. This article says now uh, more than 50 percent of children born to mothers under 30 are born out of wedlock. More than 50 percent. That is so scary to me. It's just so horrifying. And, I, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I need my personal freedom. I don't really want to get committed. I need my personal freedom. And David Brooks in the New York Times, who is one of our favorite writers, uh, says, he goes even further, he explains how maximizing personal freedom does not necessarily give people what they want. Rather, he argues individuals are better served when they're enshrouded in commitments that transcend personal choice. Commitments to family, God, craft, and country. That man knows how to say it. He
1: knows how to say it. So anyway, that's the that's the view from above. We're fighting a battle, those of us who are concerned about families, and we're, we're losing. We need to find better ways to, as we like to say in our little mission statement, we need to find ways to fortify families by, not so much by fighting the bad kinds of marriage, but more by popularizing parenting, by celebrating commitment, by bolstering balance in our lives, and by validating values. That's what we hope to do. That's what we do in little groups all the time. We wish that it could happen on a larger scale. We know churches work at this hard. We know a lot of institutions do. The divide's not as simple as you might think. If you look at the statistics to see where families are weakening as measured by people not getting married at all or by getting divorced at a very high rate, it's interesting that there's two groups, each comprising about a fourth of the public, that do better than average on marriage and on valuing and keeping their families together. One is termed often in statistical analysis the faithfuls, and that's people who do attend church and who believe in God and who essentially keep their families strong because they believe it's the right thing to do. There's another group of about equal size that oftentimes in statistical analysis is called progressives, sometimes even progressive liberals, These are people who do not go to church, who do not embrace religion, but who are well-educated. They have college degrees, and they value families. And they, even though they might be secular humanists, they are intently concerned about keeping families together. Ironically, it's the blue-collar group um, who is really losing families the fastest, the lower middle income, where marriage happens less and less and less, and where cohabitation is the norm. Anyway, to finish with the statistics, let's get to the real point. Linda, you wanted to read one more, and then let's talk about this seminar we had at our home last week.
0: Yeah, I think we'll get to that after the break, but this is just so interesting because this article goes on to say, if current trends continue, what will the family look like in 10, 20 years down the road? What kind of future awaits our children, our young people, our neighborhoods, and civic relationships? These are serious problems that need to be addressed. Not when crisis boils over completely, but now, projections are notoriously difficult for social scientists to make. The future is not set in stone, society falls into slums and climbs back out, however, given the current trajectory, the future looks pretty bleak for many American children. And, you know, we live in a society where families are still strong. I mean, we're in Utah this week, and there are a lot of amazing families here. We'll be in New York tomorrow, and that is where things start to break down because it's a whole different world.
1: Listen what uh, one demographer, Joel Kotkin, says. It is time for us to consider what an aging, increasingly child-free population growing more slowly could mean here. As younger Americans individually eschew families of their own, they are contributing to the ever-growing imbalance between older retirees, basically their parents, and working-age Americans, creating a culture marked by hyper-individualism and dependence on the state as the family unit erodes. In other words, who's going to take care of an aging population that hasn't had children. Cotin says that strengthening the family is a cause we need to make as a society rather than counting on nature to take its course. What we need in this country is a movement. Now, you know what movements are. There's there's an incredibly strong movement right now called the gay marriage movement, and it's making enormous headway. Whatever you think about that, the question is not as much how to stop that movement. The question is how to start a movement. And movement means an emotional cause that people embrace and do something about. Not just read about it, but do something about it. And it needs to be a movement for the natural traditional family, which is no longer the majority.
0: It is so scary. And, you know, and when it comes right down to it, so much of it depends on the mother's. Because there are so many, they're wonderful families, but there's so many single mothers. I mean, in our world, 50% of families have divorced parents. And it, it really comes down the buck stops with mothers. Of course, we have some wonderful fathers out there, too. But, and, and things are changing. 20 years ago, um, you would never have seen a father in a 7-Eleven with a baby car, I mean, a, a stroller and another a child. I mean, they just couldn't handle it now you see them all the time. you see them everywhere in the foyers of churches and shopping malls and so on on their own with a baby pack on the back. so you know we have progressed in that way, but when it comes right down to it, the buck
1: stops with the mom well, and I think the other thing to say, Linda, is that it probably is true just in our in our limited observation, but we do go a lot of places and see a lot of parents and a lot of different cultures and for what it's worth, this is oversimplified a little. But the parents who are doing a good job and who are conscientious, uh, they are a minority. But they are probably better parents than parents were a generation ago. But that that is a minority. The majority either are not having kids at all, or if they are having them, they're bringing them into very unstable homes, perhaps into unmarried settings and uncommitted relationships. So it's a big problem now. Now that we've depressed you all, let's come back after the break and talk optimistically about 100 fabulous parents that were in our home in Park City just uh, just, just day before yesterday. We'll be back right after the break.
0: And we are back. And now, as Richard said just before the break, now that we've totally depressed you about the demise of the family, let us talk about some terrific families that we met this weekend. Um, we had some terrific mothers and then in the afternoon a handful of dads showed up. Of course, all of the dads couldn't come come because somebody has to take care of the kids. I mean, of those sixty women that were there or no, weren't quite I mean eighty women
1: dads showed up.
0: But um, we figured there were over 300 children represented by the audience, and so somebody had to take care of all those kids, whether it was neighbors, grandparents, whatever, and, and the dads in a lot of cases, and get them to soccer and piano lessons and baseball and all that
1: stuff. But well, let, we me, had I, so let me much just, fun. just to by way of background and also by way of bragging about our, our daughter, Sarah. I mean, this power of moms thing, you have to understand that Sarah's a very educated and bright gal who while she was at Harvard and while she was doing a lot of educational presenting and and professional associations and so on, it began to bother her more and more that she would go to all these conferences on professional development on every field under the sun, and she began saying, well, where is the professional development and career development for moms, for those who are staying home and doing the right thing by their children and who are lonely in doing it and who have really no no help. Why don't we have the same kind of seminars where we have speakers and improvement ideas and, and brainstorming sessions just like any profession, only we focus on the very difficult and complex task of being a mom and raising a family. So that's basically what they've done and they have... Seminars and, and retreats all over the country, and again the, the website is powerofmoms.com, dot com. But uh, we we've promised we'll ho- we'll host one every uh, every spring. Maybe you want to come up to our house next spring. But they're held everywhere. And so anyway, with that as background, imagine our living room, our great room, filled with nearly a hundred counting by the time the dads got there and we're all just trying to do a better job speakers are coming in giving ideas splitting up into little groups for brainstorming and for sometimes age specific because if you're a mom with an eleven-year-old you want to get with other moms that have an eleven-year-old and talk
0: and sometimes
1: you know issue
0: specific because there was a huge talk on discipline i mean talk going on We split up in in groups according to ages on discipline because it's a little different with a three-year-old than it is a 13-year-old. And so it was just so interesting. I think probably they learned more from each other than they did from any of us who spoke. But it really was, it's just invigorating, it's electric when you get that many good mothers together. And, you know, by definition, they were good mothers, but I have to tell you about The favorite thing I have during those seminars is talking to people and talking about their individual stories. And the best stories this time came from a couple of different families who were really working to change the trajectory of their families. I have a mother mother who came up to me and said, you know, I was raised in a very religious home. We went to church every week. My mom read scriptures and participated in Sunday school and was, you know, just so good on Sundays. But then she would come home and just scream at us all week, where actual abuse, um, mostly just I think mental abuse, but I mean not just, it's so difficult, and she said, finally I got placed in a foster home. And she said, that wasn't a happy experience either, I didn't get anything from that experience because it wasn't a happy home. And she said, when I was lucky enough to find a good man to marry, we decided we were going to change the trajectory of our family. And we were going to do things entirely
1: different. Now think about that for a minute, because most of us are shocked when we reflect on how much our parenting is like that of our parents. And the common trend is that people pretty much raise their kids the same as they were raised. And that's a great thing if you were raised in a great way and if you had a wonderful, loving home and supportive parents and so on. The hard thing and the real heroes, and this is what Linda's pointing out, are the ones who were raised in all the wrong ways but who have the gumption and the guts to actually make a commitment that we are going to do it differently. And this is the right angle. Our our family's gone one trajectory all this time. We're changing that trajectory. I think those people are heroes.
0: Yeah, are just going, turn around and going the opposite direction. After we finished, um, one of the dads that was there came up with his wife, and she had come to me the very first of the day and said, I have a little story to tell you before I leave. So at the end of the day, she came up with her husband, and they were such a cute couple. She was about 5'2", and he was about 6'4". And, um, but just really cute. And they said, you know, we want to tell you that we both came from totally dysfunctional homes. We, it was just so dysfunctional. It was unbelievable. And when we found each other, we decided before we even got married that we were going to turn around and do this same turnaround, turn around 180 degrees and go the other way. And she said, we, just get a hold of every parenting book we can find. We, we have no idea. We had no idea how to create a happy family because we had no example to go from. So she said, we, we read books, we go to seminars, we do everything we can to glean ideas of how to raise our family because we just have no foundation whatsoever. And those people truly are the heroes for not just this, this generation of their kids but for many generations to come.
1: You know, one of the ironies of the world we live in, and we comment on this often, we meet so many people who are really quite brilliant and quite accomplished in their careers and oftentimes in their hobbies or their their music or their sports or whatever they do, and they understand how you set a goal and have a strategy and pursue it and and improve and, and get better and better and so on. And yet for some odd reason, so many have never applied